Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. So because we've got nothing better to do, we decided to tackle a very not thorny, not deep, not profound, not contentious, not provocative issue, which is all of the commotion around the leaked draft opinion that the Supreme Court uh, did to overturn abortion rights in the Roe v. Wade case. Um, you know, I thought that would be an interesting way to spend Just a Wednesday a, evening. A, a light topic to... to uh to get into there's a ton here but i just thought as a starting point we could look at the piece that kind of threw this thing open the political piece yeah, the sure. political piece which it's like one of these headlines too supreme court has voted to overturn abortion rights according to a draft opinion you know it's like right. dot 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 but you can tell that somebody was paying attention to the search engine optimization on that one uh because i mean obviously they haven't yet voted but the draft opinion does show that if if that if that opinion holds that right. the precedent if of that, Roe versus if that draft Wade, is right and correct. it stays the same, then that's what it basically holds. Correct. So um, you know that piece, which came out about a week ago today, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, um, basically circulated it, what is an initial draft majority opinion that got written by Justice Samuel Alito. That mm-hmm. who who knows how this thing got leaked, which is in and of itself a really interesting question because. You know, you wonder about the motivations of that. But anyway, because these things happen all the time. They draft uh, opinions. They circulate them amongst themselves before they go public with them in in all their different cases. But in this case, it got leaked. And this opinion is basically in total repudiation of the 1973 decision, which guaranteed constitutional protections of abortion rights. And then another decision, which was subsequent to that in 1992, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, Casey, that basically reaffirmed or maintained that particular mm-hmm. right. So, and you know, full disclaimer for those who haven't figured this out, neither you or I are lawyers. Neither you or I know all the precedent, all the case law, et cetera. We have opinions, but not everything that we say here is going to be, you know, maybe legally accurate. Right. So I want to kind of throw that out there. But that's the case. That's the the piece that I saw that kind of started blowing this up. Now, since then, there's been every manner of commentary on this. There's been every manner of demonstration. Uh, many, maybe most of them, peaceful. Some not. Uh, there's been a lot of, you know, different things. Uh, in you know, certainly I've come across it as a 
as a religious person, uh, a lot of, you know, protests and things happening inside of churches. Uh, here in Los Angeles, the cathedral, there was a big commotion that happened on Sunday where people came in dressed as, uh, what's that show? The Hulu show? The one with the people? Oh, the, the Handmaid's Tale? Handmaid's Tale. People walked in dressed as the Handmaid's Tale and like basically disturbed the mass and started screaming and yelling. There was stuff at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. Uh, some people stole a tabernacle out of a Catholic church. Uh, another group said that they were going to set fire to the Eucharist. I mean, there's like all kinds of craziness that's going on. Mm-hmm. So from that dimension, um, you know, I don't know how widespread it is, but there's a lot of stuff going on. And then on the other side, there's been, uh, I think, a lot of cheering and chest thumping by people who have been looking for this uh, precedent to be overturned and who have lobbied hard against it, uh, not the least of which is basically half of our Congress. So where do we begin on this? That's the setup. Yeah, that's quite a setup. A lot to unpack even on that, on that setup. Um, I mean, I think the starting point for me was kind of thinking about a lot of what we, we were discussing, and I think a lot of have been discussing about the, what the makeup of this Supreme Court means for the direction that this country takes. Yeah. And one of the big challenges that I have when I think about this specific ruling is that you're still talking about a Supreme Court that if this vote holds according to this leaked opinion, mm-hmm. then it really goes counter to what the majority of people in the U.S. believe should be the case, right? Correct. And it is a case where you're talking about changing a a well, something that's been already uh, reaffirmed as a constitutional right. Um, and while it's been, things have been reversed in the past, and I think the, the part that I was that I heard them like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Typically, those reversals are to give people more rights, not to, in this case, what is interpreted, especially for, by by women uh, who are pro-abortion as mm-hmm. taking away rights. And that's the part where, when I think about, you know, some mentioned to you, like, what, what should we title this? Like, where do we go from here? That's a really tough one to say, where do we go from here sure. on, on that point? Um, because it's not just this this case or this this issue is like what are what are all the other potential issues that could be directly impacted when you have a Supreme Court that it just does not reflect what the country is, mm-hmm. and that's the, the part that I, I struggle with it. You know, the, the reality here is that if this should be law that should be handled by Congress, right? Because part of what they're saying is a couple of things. One of it is like it should not have been ruled this way by a Supreme Court. It should be handled by Congress. And then kind of throw it back to the states, right? And, but then when you look at what, what's happening in Congress, you can't get anything really anything done or passed. You know, in trying to get sixty people in Senate trying to agree on one thing, like good luck. Ironically, proven today yet again because yeah. the Senate Who's Democrats tried to pass a codification of abortion on the heels of this announcement. Yeah. To basically say, okay, well, if you overturn Roe v. Wade, we're going to codify it into the law. And, of course, it failed because they couldn't Which, get 60 people. They couldn't even get all 50 uh, uh, Democrats. Oh, that's true. That's right. Manchin voted Joe against Manchin it. Joe Manchin was, was against Spoiler. it. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spoiler alert. It's like the least popular guy at the Democrat get-together. Uh, yeah. It's like, oh, here comes Joe Manchin. <laughs> Got to ruin it all. And and that's I mean that's that's the the part that it, it is slightly scary. It is slightly mm-hmm. uh, it's it's discerning when that when you see that happen. It's like, well, let me ask you a question though. Mm-hmm. So j- two things really quick. One is just to affirm the point that you made about the popular opinion. So, according to Pew in March of last year, sixty one percent 
of Americans say abortion should be legal in all or most circumstances, though support falls sharply for allowing the procedure beyond the first trimester of pregnancy. And we can kind of unpack that because I, I see a logical inconsistency there. But anyway, so that is the stat. Here's my question to you, though. Um, when, when the court has decided on issues that are contrary to popular opinion in other cases, we haven't always had an issue. Like, for instance, um, I think it's Plessy versus Ferguson or whatever the case is about um, uh, abolition and slavery. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly what the polls would show back then, but there was a time that the majority of the country believed that slavery should be legal in some form or fashion and that people who weren't you know, of European descent were lesser persons, and that was a fairly commonly held belief. Right. And yet certain people um, bucked that sense mm-hmm. and enshrined sure. into law things that we say today are good. Mm-hmm. But I think that – and that's kind of the point I was making earlier, which is in those cases, the law that is bucking the trend or the public opinion tends to protect more rights rather than what gets inter- – can be interpreted, I think, very easily in this case as taking away rights. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that is hard to reconcile. Right, it is a case where we actually are going backwards in terms of people feeling protected. Um, and by the way, those polls and opinions are stay, stay the same. I just pulled up um, in preparation for our conversation. I pulled up a ABC, I guess ABC News Washington poll that just got released on May May third mm-hmm. uh, this week. And it's kind of it's a very similar kind of situation, right? Where the attitudes um, in terms of should the U.S. Supreme Court uphold or overturn Roe v. Wade. say uphold, 28% overturn. Uh, Whether abortion should be legal uh, in all or most cases, 58% say it should be legal. 37% say it should be illegal. And then whether a woman can have an abortion should be left to a a woman and her doctor, 70% Mm -hmm. say that. Uh, And as opposed to 24% should be regulated by law. And the other part that was interesting about that is they showed – this is what really caught my attention – what the attitude has been between folks that believe that it should be legal in all or most cases, what percentage of people, versus those that felt that it should be legal in all or most cases, kind of the two kind extremes. of extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And you look at it, you go all the way back to July of 1995 to now April of 2022, which is, I guess, the last one. You know, it got, it got released in May. Um, and we're kind of at an all-time... Maybe high, except for September '95, in terms of the how in such opposite position we are. We're like 58 percent, give or take, think that it should be legal in most of our cases, and 37 percent should think it should be legal. As a matter of fact, the, the time when they came the closest, where they were both about 48, 49 percent, mm-hmm. was back in what looks to be August 2001. Interesting. I don't know what was happening in August 2001 or July well, 2001. It was after September 11th. Wait, wait, uh, this is August? No, it's before. Yeah, September yeah before, okay. I guess, right? But I don't know why 2001. I mean, new president. I guess, had, right? With, with, uh, yeah, with George W. Bush. We just dealt with the hanging chads, and Gore had just gone yeah, through that I whole guess, mess. I, I guess. It's, it's very odd, but there's, it, it's, it is a case where you have a lot of people that feel that uh, – that, that opinion has stayed pretty consistent. See what I'm saying? Right, like, but you're also saying that the polarization has increased. In other words, there's more energy at the poles of the decisions now than there was before. No, well, no. What I'm saying is – what I'm saying in terms of how, how, how far apart they are is that there's less people now mm-hmm. that support abortion to be illegal in all or most cases 
than there was uh, whatever back in 2001. Got that it. was at this all-time high of 48%. So, so think, the, of that, think of that. Like This got up to about 48%. That's about yeah. as high. And that's a place maybe where it got the closest between people that support it, want to be legal in all cases versus those that want to be legal. Kind of got it. Like so pretty then, even So split. basically, the, Toss a coin. the trend has been to more people de- make, uh, believing it should be legal in most more cases. More people believing it should be legal yeah, than, I understand in most that. cases. Yeah. And, and that's the... And this is the really tricky part because I even think this goes back to like all of the things to unpack it. Even from a political standpoint, I do think there's a lot of people that are sitting there pumping their chests of of celebrating this. But sure. I think it's a lot of Republicans right now who are a little concerned that you're still talking about passing potentially a very unpopular thing. Mm-hmm. That people and may that it's lay gonna out. put wind in the sails of the opposition. I mean at a time and, when they need it because there's nothing extent, else that's going for them. To some extent, it could be it could be very beneficial. I think it's we kind of talked about this before. Democrats were going to get wiped out, and maybe still are going to get wiped out, but they got they're going to get a fighting chance now to at right. least hang on an issue that is extremely unpopular uh, that they could put it right on sure. on, on Republicans on, on and even if it this. isn't going to be successful, they're going to definitely use it as a wedge. There's no question for about sure. It. I yeah. think why wouldn't you? Of course you would. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? I, right? Of course. I, I saw a CNN piece today though that said that. At least the initial polls don't seem to indicate that people would change their mind about midterm choices, but I find that hard to believe and also very early because if you message against this for the next six months, which for no sure. doubt they will do, they're going to be going. Um, that can change. Even pers- even Trump was somewhat muted in his. It just did you hear his no. response? Yeah, he was. He kind of put it back like, "Yeah, we had to leave it to the states to figure it out," but he was. It wasn't in his typical rah rah. Yeah, yeah, got him kind of thing. For you sure. know, because I think even there, there's concern. Um, I do want to talk about one thing that you brought up, though. So uh-huh. first of all, well, actually two things, but let me just start with the first. So uh-huh. you talked about that when these cases have been decided that the court goes against popular convention, it's been because it expands rights not to track them. Yeah. Right. Okay. Correct. What would you make of the argument that that's precisely what's happening here? Meaning it is expanding rights for people that are not yet born. Yeah, but it, I think it's, this is, goes back to the same point that you and I have talked about. And I think for those that have listened to our, our our point is that this is a case where, and I totally believe the case, and I and, and I'm all for the idea that when you have an abortion, you're ending the life. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to argue <laughs> any other way. You could make people will try to make the argument when does life begin, sort of, but sure. Time, you know, like the the yeah, old yeah, yeah. Shawshank Redemption thing, time and pressure, right? That's right. Right. And in this case, time and nourishment. Yeah. Time and nourishment. You know, it will be a life for sure. But the the argument here is that, but when you do that, then you have to remove the rights of the woman to be able to make to be able to choice to to be able to have a choice. Right. And I think you've been. And I think ver- that's the yeah. That so when I talk about removing the rights, it's hard for me to say because in in when you hear some of these people talk about. Especially those that have a, a even more extreme position, where they're saying, "Hey, like it should be completely illegal in all scenarios." Right. right. You know, uh, there and and we've even talked about the ways or the what should be an exception, if any, right? And I think most people, even in that scenario, I would hope that they say, if the woman's life is in danger, I would hope that at least you get that, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think I don't think everyone's on that same page. But I know, like the issue of rape comes up mm-hmm. for sure. Right, and you and I've talked about this, and your point, I get your point. Like it's not the child's fault. At the same time, is I think about the context of, especially in if we get to a point where it's completely legal. So we're saying that if a woman gets raped, not mm-hmm. only does she loses her like 
her dignity, her, course, all of that of with the act. Yeah. The second that happens, and if she happens to be impregnant at that moment, she loses all rights to, to basically make any choice beyond that moment. Yeah. It's like, it's like you're, you're being violated twice is how I see it. Sure. So it, it, that's why I understand the point that people make that it's, it's about preserving the life. But you are doing it at the expense. Like I think if we could agree that it is a life that you're having to end, then we should also agree that you're also taking away the rights of women to be able to decide. I, I think we can agree on that. Um, I, I think, look, with you, because you've been very, very logically consistent, which is in a way good but also a challenge. Most of the times that you know, I have conversations with people who have a different perspective on pro, on life issues, they have a different starting point, which is – you know, kind of clump of cells or whatever. Right. I think like less than kind less of than. Yeah. Right. I think you acknowledge it and nevertheless still believe that the woman should have that autonomy to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a logically consistent position because it is true that you're, you're, you're acknowledging that point. Um, I, I, I guess, you know, my thought on the idea of taking away rights or giving rights based on what you've acknowledged though is that it's a net neutral because if you have a situation where right now the woman has the right and then you end in a new reality where the unborn baby has the right, you still have one person having the right as opposed to you're not taking away, you're not ending up with less than one, right? You have one, so it's a net neutral um, impact in terms well, of it, rights but, that are provided. I, I hear you, but the, but the, but the, the practical side of it is it's not net, tr- net neutral for that woman. Well, for sure. Right? Like, yeah. it's it just, you know, I, I get your point, but it's not net neutral to, to, that, to that woman. And I think that's the part that, to me, is really problematic here. And look, we were seeing, man, there's a number of states that have, I forget what they call them now, laws that are, uh, not strike laws, are called, it's, it's some other term that are that are meant to immediately go into effect the second. It's about, it's about half I, I forget, of the states. I forget it, they're called, right? Yeah, it's, it's about half of the states. It's like 20-something states, 26. Right? 26 states. And and you know it still comes down in my mind to the big to the the problem here is that the people that will be most impacted by this are people that are of less means, which is going to be more more black and brown people. Mm-hmm. Period. Because regardless of what stance a person may have with means, if they choose, if they change their mind, not choose, if they change their mind on this stance, and you have means, you have the ability to take your whatever, take yourself, take your daughter, whatever, to take the person that with the woman to go have an abortion on somewhere else yeah. with means. Without mm-hmm. means, it just becomes, I think, extremely extremely problematic for, for those folks. And it does, like, it, 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 it hurts me that this is something that we're adding to a burden to women that already are probably situations where, like, life has kind of been against them to some yeah. extent. And the people that have the means, doesn't matter what the, frankly, we could, we could ban an entire country. People with means could just go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not really a thing, so it, it, that's. And I'm sure there will. There's a whole question yeah. of abortion tourism that rises out of this. I mean, sure. we're already seeing it in states like California yeah. is one. We're already seeing it in the corporate sphere. In fact, I have a piece uh, right here um, from Fox Business. Uh, Microsoft joins Amazon, Tesla, Goldman, and other companies covering travel costs for abortions. Right. So you have this whole, and this isn't even this is before anything has been formally announced. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah that got announced pretty quickly, like right after. And it's interesting, right? Because some of those brands that we're talking about are brands that, I mean, it's still a big part of their their client base is going to be conservative. Sure. That should even align with leadership, this. maybe even. I mean, think Tesla. about Tesla. It's a really interesting one, right? Yeah. This is actually a, a very kind of liberal stance to to be taken. 
Um, by especially when you think about him, Elon Musk, who has been extremely vocal uh, of all the liberal policies of a state like California and even moving operations to, I think, Austin. Is to Austin. Working, I was right? just there last week. Yeah, yeah. I drove right by the uh, the Tesla headquarters. Are they, is it already kind of being built out? Yeah, it is. And it, there's like, I mean, it's Is like, it headquarters or manufacturing that they're doing there? I think it's headquarters. I think oh, they really? moved the whole operation. I mean, I don't know. They're, I'm sure they have offices elsewhere, but I think they move their corporate oh, entity to Austin. I thought, I thought they were going to do a manufacturing plan over there. And I'm sure they're doing that too. But, um, yeah, probably. but, but I yeah. think he lives there. Like, he, like he's moving his, the, the, oh, the, the, think, yeah. the think tank goes to Austin. Twitter's going there as well, probably. Yeah, that's what I, it's funny <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I talked to my Austin friends about. I'm like, get ready yeah. for Twitter. Come yeah. in this way. Yeah, it's this big kind of. It, it's basically like a dirt road entrance to the to the Tesla headquarters. Right, but right. yeah, it's interesting that you know these companies have have already you know kind of more to the point that we've talked about before about companies taking a stance on political and social issues. I mean, this is a preemptive stance on on an issue, and they've come out and very think strongly of it like in, a that, brand. in that regard. I mean, I guess I don't know. Maybe the client base of Tesla is fairly liberal. I would say very much so. You think so? I would say so. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, because it tends to be urban. So what? It tends also it also because a price point is is aimed at people with a lot of means. That so I got I got to imagine now. I mean, this so isn't the I got to imagine there will be a lot of folks that are falling the other side of the spectrum. Maybe, but I just think that that's the that's kind of the dynamic that's really changed over the last 20, 30 years is that the people with money and corporate power are increasingly less conservative. I mean, these are more progressive folks, and yeah, the, and, and they're right. and they're you know you see a lot more Teslas in San Francisco and L.A. than you do in you know Dallas. Let's just say that. Yeah, it's curious. I'm I'm curious about that. I was uh, in New York last week, and Did you see any Teslas? You know, um, I guess in the city, probably not as much. I would say, um, but I that mean, could be that could be an issue of infrastructure, et cetera. Yeah, probably. But as you go out, then you definitely start seeing you suburbs start seeing for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I don't know in suburbs over there what it would be like. New, how New York's right, pretty left. blue for in general, um, I would think. Shades yeah, of know. blue. Yeah, I guess yeah. shades of blue, right? Yeah. But uh, so so it is really interesting to kind of see that, right? Uh, but I think it kind of speaks to how I, I think it goes back to the same point, which is the overwhelming support that it tends to have already. That mm-hmm. these companies will feel that by doing this, not only are they supporting their like their more liberal employees, but also sending a signal to the entire market. Sure. Well, they're supporting the majority because the, the majority. majority yeah, yeah. The, the, you're absolutely right. The majority of Americans do support some ver- some kind of abortion. Um, and even among religious people, you know, I mean, we've, we've looked at that. Yeah, we've discovered I mean, this of it's, late. It's it's well, but it's been a trend in general, right? Like when you look at overall, uh, and I know we looked at our Catholics. I'm sure it holds as well with Christians in it general. Does. Yeah, um, Let the least the, with the amount of Christians. support, the amount of support that people have, even within the the, the more religious realms uh, of supporting abortion. Yeah, and, and I think part of it, which I love for you to talk about this, because sure. there there, you know, you and I have discussed this that even within those realms. There seems to be a shift in the thinking of how to even talk about pro-life mm. as less about maybe it's an emphasis thing. You always say that, right? It's not it's not a this or that, but more of an emphasis. Maybe to shift more of the emphasis towards the person, the women in this case, yeah, uh, and not so much around sort of the life or the life. That emphasis tends to sort of, by almost definition, move light away from the the, the person who's actually going through that process. It's super interesting because, yeah, what I've talked about with you is that the, you know, to use a word, uh, the apologetic, which basically means the style of defense or argumentation has shifted, um, certainly in religious spheres, but maybe even more broadly. 20 years ago, the conversation about pro-life, pro-choice centered around the scientific 
reality of what was happening, right? Whereas you would have the pro-life side of the equation saying things like, uh, you know, a baby at six weeks has, you know, uh, unique fingerprints and has a beating heart and has unique DNA and is separate than the mother and all these different things to make the case that what we're dealing with is actually a separate human being. So it was very much focused on that kind of of tact, you know what I mean? Like to Mm -hmm. basically focus on the scientific evidence that proves the fact that a fetus in utero is a different entity altogether than the mother. And because it's human, it's a person, right? So like it was very Mm -hmm. much focused on that. Where we are today is very different, which is, and I think you're kind of illustrating the point in a weird way, which is, I think people increasingly on the other side of the equation, on the other side from me, people who are pro-choice concede the fact that this is human, that it is alive. Mm-hmm. Maybe the question of personhood is still up in the air. Sure. But they concede it's human and it's alive, which is not what would have been the case 20 years ago. 20 years ago, you'd still be hearing things like, well, you know, the guy's sperm, like, are we going to ban people masturbating and all this other stuff? But it was more that kind of thing. And I think today people say, well, no, it is very much alive. Nevertheless, the woman's right to autonomy over her own body trumps the fetus's life, and therefore abortion should be legal in these different cases. That has forced a different approach uh, on how to speak about this issue, especially in religious circles, where it's more about let's accompany the mother, let's you know, show them that there's a better way, there's another option, that that life is a good thing, that there is adoption, that there is a variety of different ways to contend with this, uh, rather than, hey, this is a life and you can't end it, let me prove to you that it's alive. Mm-hmm. So that, it's definitely shifted. There's no question about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I do think even the point we were talking about earlier, this, the acknowledgement that in order to protect that life, you need to take away the rights of the women and be like really upfront with it. I don't think many people on the conservative side of the equation are even willing to entertain that yeah. or to publicly say that. I think I have no problem saying that, but I but I view it in the same category as the rights that I lose even now about being able to go across the street and kill my neighbor. I don't have that right either. Right, so I've lost that right to impose my will or m- impose a violent outcome on anyone, and I'm perfectly okay stating that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, yeah I yeah, realize no, you don't I, have that right. Right, right, right. No, I, I, I get that. It's, it's challenging to me when I think about this in a broader kind of sense in, in terms of how women, I believe, the, the, the position that they're now in and how, frankly, other people in power view them as not – to some extent, like not having the ability to make the decision on themselves or that they are in many ways second-class citizens. There was a really horrific comment that I, that I, that I read. I heard it, and now I just pulled it up to see what it was. And it was this, this, uh, this sta- uh, GOP state house candidate for Michigan um, that said – and this is, he's talking about rape in the context of his daughters. Oh, yeah. And he's I, like, I came across this. He's like, having three daughters, I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. It's a sicko. It's a sicko, and like, and but that's the kind of, but I think when you, when you then follow that up, or like, well, and then she gets pregnant because of this rape. It's like, not only were you raped the first time and violated the first time, now you so now I feel like you're also being violated the second time by immediately no longer having that that. And if we concede that it's it is a life or it's the beginning of a life, 
then where does that line like ever end? Mm-hmm. Right, because that's the challenge that I find if taking the the stance that the Catholic Church takes, which is if it's not for procreation, then it shouldn't happen at all. Then you then look at also then banning um any kind of contraceptive, mm-hmm. right? Because they're all are means to stop a life from for occurring. Sure. Yeah. So if you go down the rabbit hole on, on that point, then you continue to chip away at, at frankly a lot of the things that I think women benefit men and women benefit from. But in most cases, the burden is on the women to like be more thoughtful about about that sort of thing. Yeah, and that and that's where it's. I have a hard time thinking about it. Well, where do we go from here with this? Like, if this is the the logic that does, and frankly, well, wait, we haven't been talking about too much. But the actual logic that they used to repeal this, that it wasn't like specifically uh, identified in the constitution. Yeah. Uh, like, woof, if you start taking that as a stance against a lot of other issues, I think that's where people get really freaked out. Like, well, wait a minute. So then. There's also thing as gay marriage, a bunch of other things that could fall in that, in that same kind of category yeah. that are not explicitly shared, and and then coupled with the fact that you have a um, an ex- not an executive, a legislative branch that is completely paralyzed to be able to pass laws that are more comprehensive and that are national in nature, then what do you do there? Yeah, that, it's that it, combination that 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 I think is terrible. You know? Yeah, no, I I definitely understand that. Um... I was I was actually looking for the, the you know the definitions of what these what these laws actually enshrine and what they don't because there's a lot of confusion about that in and of itself Roe v Wade Doe versus Bolton these different decisions I think you know j- just because you brought up the Catholic Church's position mm-hmm. the Catholic Church's position is pretty clear and you know has been consistent sure. for a very long time which is that you know all life is precious. You know, whether you're in the womb or you're 90 years old and should be preserved. So it's pretty Mm -hmm. consistent. And that even if you're not going to grow up with your biological parents, it's better that you be alive than to be dead. So Mm -hmm. it's, you know, fairly consistent. And then in terms of um, contraception, the, 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 the thought there is just that the sexual act is for two purposes. Purpose number one is the procreation of children. Purpose number two is the unity of spouses, right? So like those two things. And the reason that contraception is looked at unfavorably is because it blocks the unitive aspect of that. So in other words, it creates a barrier between the union of the, the man and the woman, and therefore that's why it's, that's why it's bad. Now, you can disagree with that, but it, that's, the, that's the logic involved there. Um, you know, the idea of the rape uh, comment, because this gets brought up a lot, mm-hmm. I think it's important to look at, first of all, the percentage of you know, instances that we're talking about with rape. And it is less than 1% of the abortions that are had are due to rape or incest. Now, that doesn't minimize the instances when it happens. But the position that I have is very simple, which is, you know, why punish the child, right? Punish the rapist, punish the, the incestuous person, but not punish the child. And I happen to know, look, my wife is a survivor of rape, and I also have met people who are the product of rapes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those people, I would say, um, have a right to live and they have no uh, control or should suffer any judgment or consequence on the basis of how they were conceived because that's not their fault, right? Yeah, no, I, I get that. But do, do you not see at all the how those two things, the act and then the the burden – how those are two many forms of violating that same person or having their rights taken away from them? I do, but I, I do see that, and and I and I I I hurt for 
the woman who feels that that is a broader burden on her. Some do and some don't, frankly, um, because there's been many rape, uh, you know, people who've been conceived in rape who have gone to term, and many of which have said that they're very happy about that, right? Mm-hmm. My point is that there are difficult situations that happen. And the question is, you know, who should we exact the punishment on? And I'm not saying it's not hard, it's not tough, it's not, it's not very difficult for, for women, but I also happen to know a lot of post-abortive women who have been further hurt and damaged by their abortions. And, and there's many cases, I'm and, sure, and where I you could say people— I, But I think that's right. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the—I uh, I also know people that are in that category, and— And there are people who say that they're happy about their abortions, too, so I want to be clear about well, that. But, but I think both things can be true, which is it was the best decision for them in their life— and also then resulted in them having children mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. right, but at the appropriate time, and still be very hurt that that actually happened. Like, those th- those two things are not mutual. That they wish they could take it back, you're saying? Not saying that they wish they could take it back, but that they, but that they hurt that that, ha- that that happened. Right. That, they, that they're hurt by that. Sure. That it, it taunts them. Mm-hmm. And I think, but in all of this, so we still come down to the same point, which is when is their choice to do that, then it is still... The outcome, in my mind, is a better one because ultimately, if they decide to keep the term or not, it's it's like they have the ability to make that decision. And I really struggle with this idea of having our government be the deciding factor at any stage of someone being pregnant. Well, right, it, and that's and that's that's the thing because because right now you can say, well, hopefully, what they'll do is they'll you know they'll have these 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 laws that are while they may be more restrictive, but still give people some option. But the way this is like this is especially the way that this uh, opinion is being written. I mean, there is no safeguard for anyone saying that they could be just completely banned altogether. Mm-hmm. And I think a number of states that are willing to do that, like right now. Um, and yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to punish anyone. I don't want to punish the, the child. Of course not. Uh, and for those people that choose to keep that child, then great. But it's it's the inability to make a choice. And, and but it's, to me, it's a combination, not just inability. But if it was like everyone had means and everyone can go anywhere else and do it somewhere else, then fine. Then there's there's other options for them. But it's when I think about the people that are going to be most affected. I think about the people that I went to high school with. Yeah, like that's the crowd that I'm thinking about. Like that wouldn't that don't have the means. That wouldn't have the means. Yeah, you know, and, and that's what I what I find. Yeah, and you can understand, and you can understand why somebody like me would be okay with people not having the means based on what I believe abortion is, right? So I'm okay with people not having the means to kill people, like I'm okay with that, right? Sure. And so it kind of comes down to that. You brought up an interesting point, though. So I do want to just get on record because there's a lot of d- misunderstanding about what Roe v. Wade does mm-hmm. and doesn't do. So just super high level summary. So 1973 January, Roe v. Wade. In that decision, the Supreme Court ruled that women had a constitutional right to abortion and that this right was based on a right to personal privacy emanating from the Ninth and Fourteenth Amendments, right? They basically ruled that the fetus was not a person but a, quote, potential life and didn't have constitutional rights of its own. And they also set up a framework that basically worked on the basis of trimesters. So in the first Mm -hmm. trimester— There was really um, a woman's privacy right was the strongest, and the state could not regulate abortion for any reason. In the second trimester, the state could regulate abortion, but only to protect the life of the woman. And in the third trimester, the state could regulate or prohibit abortion 
in its own interest, except where abortion was necessary to preserve the woman's life or health. Now, there was another case that was decided on the very same day that we never hear about called Doe versus Bolton, which actually defined what health of the mother meant. Mm-hmm. And they defined what health of the mother meant to be, quote, all factors, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. So effectively, the combination of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton that were that carried out on the exact same day essentially enshrined the right to abortion through all nine months of pregnancy in certain situations, right? Which I think is one of the things that is not understood because I think people think, well, yeah, abortion's legal, but only in this window. But, but isn't that a, a soundbite as well, Charlie? When you Going back to the same point you were making about where rape as a percentage of abortions that are due to rape is a small number. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you also make the exact same argument about people that are having abortions at the at the at the third trimester as well? They're they're definitely more rare because there's less people who would perform the abortions. You're absolutely right. Right, and then added to depending on frankly, the states that are going to be most impacted by this already have significantly harsher, harsher restriction or have multiple times challenged um, the Supreme Court ruling, even going beyond the or earlier in the first trimester. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, I think what was it? Fifteen weeks is I think. Fifteen weeks be? is the case that's in that's in. Uh, I think that's what caused this, right? What, that's what, right. What that's what we're it. looking at right now. I think that's what was for Mississippi. For Mississippi, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I concede that. I concede that it's it's uh, exceedingly rare. But I also think that there is a a thought in the general population that that there is currently not a right through all nine months. Right. And the reality like, is, is there is, there, is, is, there an, a is right. There is an exception, a way to, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I mean, look, I think with all of this, the, the, the challenge that I that I think we're, we're going, getting into here is that we're going through a very, I think as a country, going to be a, a, a ever more dividing moment yeah. um, where the polarization is just continues to, to increase. Um, is now everything has been politicized, including Supreme Court, whether they want to admit it or not. I agree. I mean, with that. It, it is. It is. And even if it's not true, the, the perception is reality. So. Perception is definitely reality, and it's hard to. Well, yeah, perception is definitely reality. Even if, to your point, this wasn't the, the, the is not actually the case. And and I think it. If we talked, we've talked so much about you know um, a lot of folks claiming that we need to like give people confidence against in the in the voting process in this country. Like, what happened with the Supreme Court? Like, how many people are going to lose confidence in the Supreme Court now being also another political instrument? Yeah. Right? And and, and what is that? What is the long-term impact on the Supreme Court's ability to be able to be the, what, what used to be the unbiased, or what we mm-hmm. perceived that, maybe it used to be, what used to be perceived as an unbiased, uh, um, you know, body in our in our, in our our government? I, I think there is major implication with that. I think there is. I mean, well, I think the, there's the, major the implications leak, to the leak itself. The leak itself, but said the leak itself is a great testament to the, the how much confidence has been eroded uh, of this court, and how he's also being seen as a political uh, a political body. But don't you think that the idea, because you started off by saying that the Supreme Court is supporting a position that's not popularly held, don't you think that's yeah. part of the problem, though, in a way? Like, in other words, your supposition is that the Supreme Court should support popular things. Doesn't that, yeah. by definition, well, make no, it political? Not Well, I, I mean, I guess you can say that, but it's, but it's a stance that gets supported by both Republicans and Democrats, right, mm. by a large chunk of them. I, I think that's the thing is, like, you're talking about an issue that the majority of Americans, not just Democrats, the majority of Americans, even religious Americans, uh, are supportive of. 
and and something that if you repeal removes the right of the individual the woman in this case even if it's at the benefit of giving more rights to an unborn child right mm-hmm. and that's the part where it's tough to reconcile those those two things right it's not just about the most popular thing and you know <laughs> we took like a a, a, poll, you know, a straw yeah, poll. yeah it's like family matters right not family matters, it was the family feud right a hundred yeah, people said yeah. it's not just that you know right that it goes kind of across the spectrum. That's the part that is really hard to understand or to reconcile this. Yeah. Uh, and it does feel at the end of the day as a step backwards. I, I do get concerned that if we're using, now I'm trying to be a little bit of conspiracy theory, but if we use religious lens to determine policy for how we govern th- this country, it is extremely concerning in my mind because that is literally the intent of why there was a separation between church and state. And why this country has been a lot more successful than a lot of other ones. Well, like it, may the, be, it may be true that there's some religious motivations behind the conservative justices who are going to end up on this. And there's no doubt that it's hard to separate those things from your decision making. But in writing and on paper, that is not the argument that they're making. What they're, the argument that they're sure. making yeah, yeah. is that the fact that the right to privacy itself does not cover or encompass this particular right and that it's yeah. nowhere articulated in the constitution. So making it a constitutional right is right. something that is an overstepping and, of the constitution that, itself. But that goes to now putting the Supreme I'm sorry, yeah, Supreme Court in question mm-hmm. as being politically motivated. Uh, because you would expect them to write in in our legal argument for the basis of, of, of what they did, even if everyone understands that the reason why this actually happened was because of putting a more conservative leaning uh, Supreme Court in place. Right. And and the effects that we have from a, uh, you know, a Trump presidency that basically uh, was able to nominate three different Supreme Courts, super Supreme judges, Supreme Court judges. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the solve? You know, is the solve to rebalance? Well, I guess maybe let me ask you a question. Do you think there is a need to rebalance the Supreme Court? Do you think it's not, it's not balanced? I'll maybe we'll start with that because I'm, I'm already making a, a jump to the next thing. Do you think it's not balanced? And so then so then. What does that mean if we do have balance? Then we have another court that can't decide on anything, just like Congress can't pass a bill. And you have everybody at a 5-5 lock or 5-4 I guess well, it's no, 9, so it would never, so be, it. Nine, never be, be. So what is balance have, in the Supreme Court? What is court? balance? Yeah. So do you, A, do you think it's balanced? Mm-hmm. And then if and if and if not, right, I think, what do you think needs to happen in order to make it more balanced? I think I think the balancing varies depending on the moment in history. So there's been periods sure. of time when the Supreme Court has been unbalanced to the left. Mm-hmm. I remember I looked at this the last time we talked about this, and I think something like the 40s through the 70s yep. were like a hard left lean to the to the Supreme Court. And then, you know, from that point on to today, maybe more of a right lean to it. So probably the answer by and large— In the trajectory of the country has been to be more progressive about rights that people are able to have yeah. in general. So even if that's the case, that it was more liberal for a long time— I think it was probably during a time where the country wasn't as, as liberal in general and probably needed that push to protect more people's rights. And mm-hmm. I think this is the part where, where I well, struggle then, because but, you're going but, the opposite direction. But, but by, by, by that same logic, you could say that the country itself, culturally and otherwise, is becoming more progressive. And so, therefore, this is a, a you know kind of a, a way to check that, right? I mean, aren't you making that case? It, it, yeah, potentially. But the, but the problem is that with a Supreme Court that is very conservative— and a legislative branch that can't get anything done, that means that more and more things will be decided by what the Supreme Court does. Yeah. 
And that's and that's and that's the crux this, of the issue. I think the Supreme Court on both sides of the equation has been more meaningful to the culture of the country than the Congress has by far. And I mean, and for the most part, if you think of same-sex marriage, abortion rights, etc., it's been more culturally influential on progressive issues mm-hmm. of late. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, for sure. But I think that now there's this potential for it to go in the other direction. So, but. Okay, but if we want to have a more balanced, if we believe, if we believe there's there's actually, is actually unbalanced, right? Yeah. Let's say we do. Mm-hmm. What are the options for making it more balanced, right? Uh, there's at least there's a few, right? There's one where we've talked about just expanding the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. and that's a race to the bottom, to some extent, right? For sure, you just more people, more, 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 right? Yeah. You just keep on adding more people. Yeah, that's one way. The other way could be this is the hard one. But to change the rules around Congress to actually make it so that people are able to or Congress able to pass more laws that doesn't require 60 percent of, of the Senate to agree on one thing. Not which 60 percent, but 60 votes. Yeah. 60 out of 100, yeah. right? So yeah, that's because I guess it's 101, 60%. I guess technically yeah. when it's a tie. But yeah, 60 votes. 60 votes. 60 votes. 60 votes. Um, that at this point, at this day and age, it just feels like there isn't. I think the there is six people can agree on on anything. At this I point. think the political reality of where we are has stressed the founding fathers' idea of what Congress is. There's no question in my mind about it because you have basically built in gridlock in Congress. Based on that, now the question is what to do about that, right? Do you get rid of this kind of filibuster, have yeah. simple majorities and all this mm-hmm. stuff? And then every administration coming in just nukes the other administration stuff, you know what I mean? Which is my whole issue about even executive orders. But you do that, yeah, but that's happened through executive orders because they can't do it through Congress. So right. it's so all they, executive orders. And then the moment that next one comes in, like first day, day one, the like most meaningful 100 executive orders, 99 of them are undoing what the previous president was doing. So here, I know we talked about it in a previous show that we were going to talk about this documentary. So maybe now's the time to do it. So yeah. I actually think that there is an aperture to discuss a remaking of who serves in Congress, because I don't know so much that the model is flawed. But the people that we're increasingly putting into these roles because of all the trappings of the office are such that they are career politicians. They're people who run and basically have job. Their job is to get elected. It's not actually to get anything done. And so they're, they're, they're in this constant state of election posturing, right? I think that is worth a hard look. We watched a documentary. But don't you think that yeah. that's – I mean do you really think that's true though? I do think that's true. I do think that's true. I, I would argue that, that for this new generation— Look at Nancy Pelosi. No, no, look at on, Chuck on, Schumer. Look at all these other guys. That's yeah, fine. I'm sure there's—look at Mitch McConnell. L- but but look at the new generation. Who are all these new players that are coming in, especially from the right? These are none of them are career politicians. Uh, uh, what's the name? The one from Arizona, um, Bobert, and uh, he, like all these folks are are coming in with no political background whatsoever. No, but I'm making they're, a they're taking the, the No, hold on. They're taking the same playbook that yeah. they saw Trump be successful with. And they're immediate, either immediately corrupt or are being elected because they're corrupt. And, th- and corrupt, I'm thinking not necessarily corrupt you know, under the table. Right. But corrupt with their interest is not the best interest of the country. Mm-hmm. It's just about getting elected again and again and again. Look, I would put Lauren Boebert and AOC in the same category. See, see what I'm saying? Like, like these are, these are folks that are not – and they're just as bad as all the other ones. That's exactly – Immediately. But that's exactly my point. I would put Lauren Boebert and AOC in the same category. My point is they there may be unconventional candidates, but both Lauren Boebert and AOC envision being reelected into these roles. But they all do, Charlie. 
I know. That's the part that I'm thinking is interesting to but, look but at they're changing. But they're not career politicians. But is it – Of course they are. They want to be career politicians. No, but I'm saying they're, they're walking in as not as career politicians. That's, not, that, the, that's the not the same, point I was making. The same motivation. So Do to, they want to be reelected, yes or no? Absolutely. Of course. That's my point. So in other words, their their mindset is this is my office and I run to have it. What I thought was interesting about this documentary is that it proposed the idea of actually setting congressional uh, um, you know, representatives – no, not term limits – representatives based on a lottery of a normal citizens. But that's my point. That's a different system. Well, no, well – that's it's not a, different people. That's it's a different system. It's a different system to source the candidates. It's not a different system. They would still serve like similar terms, have similar duties, you know, be, have the same level of authority. They just wouldn't be able to continue serving, and they would be drawn from a pool of general people. So that's a different. That's a, that's a completely different system, Charlie. Anyone that the, the problem when you have a system that is corrupt, anyone you drop in there, as good as they may be, et cetera, they have the same motivations. They're just trying to get reelected. No, but in this case, it wouldn't be. Uh, that's my point. So, yeah. therefore, a different system. Like what was interesting I about guess if you look at it, what as a was different. System. What was interesting about that 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 documentary was exactly that: is you have a everyday people, yep, right, being selected to be part of this of this process, with no motivation of 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 a being elected because they can't elect themselves, so they can't even like run for it. And they, and they have, have a no ability, term. and they have no ability to get reelected. So Correct. there's never any motivation, yeah. of just continuing to hold on to power as the driver. Yeah, I understand it's a what you're saying. Completely different system than I, what it is right I now. I guess. I mean, I, I would view a different system as like you know you, going it, to like a monarchy. That's you, a different right, right, system. Sure. Well, that's, that's yeah. a very different system. Okay. Guess, right. It's all in degrees, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Because if you re, if you if you remove Nancy Pelosi right now, whoever the next you know jackass that goes in there, it's going to be the same the same problem. I know because the jackass is going to want to get reelected. Of course. Yeah. And they're going to make a job out of, of being the, the congressperson. Right. Right. So I think that we have to remove the job part of it is I guess what I'm saying. Or at least it's interesting to discuss because if there's no motivation because there's no reelection or there's right. no reason to amass coalitions and power and backroom deals, then that takes a lot of the, the nastiness out of this equation to my mind. I mean – I don't even, know if it's workable, but it's certainly interesting. About the, um, I mean for all of its flaws – even if you think of the political system in Mexico, right, for president, it's a six-year term, single six-year term. Mm-hmm. No, no one that gets elected ever has to worry about getting reelected, right? You just, you just serve, you just serve that term. Yeah, but we and have something that? similar. I mean, it's eight years. You can't be president again after that. If no, you serve your eight, you're but done. Charlie, you're running. You're trying to run a, a country for two years. You're running for two again. Like you're half of the time that a president is in office, already thinking about getting reelected. I get it, but the president doesn't make the laws. The Congress does. So if the issue is who's making the laws and not getting anything done, then focusing on the legislative branch sure. seems to be pretty worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think there's more problems in the legislative branch than on any other one right now. Than in the executive or than judicial. Executive, yeah, 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 for sure. And they're all being politicized. By the way, something else that just came up that I just want to discuss with you because I get a laugh out of every time I hear something like this. It's a little bit of a different subject. But um, uh, Senator Patrick Leahy, Democrat of Vermont, uh, during this whole conversation, called it ludicrous that a majority male body would weigh in on an issue affecting women. I always find that very comical because it was 100% men who enshrined Roe versus Wade to begin with, and nobody seems to complain about that. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a throwaway comment. If anything, the Supreme Court now is far more diverse ethnically and gender-wise than it right. was when it instituted the the, the, sure. the, the, the sure. right. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. That's But that's maybe, to me, it's more speaks to who the makeup of that. It goes back to what we're talking about. Is it balanced or not? Mm. For these kind of, for these kind Do you of think issues. it's balanced now? Kind no. of ethnic? You don't think it's balanced ethnically? Oh, and, oh sorry. And, and, I didn't mean to finish. I, I don't gender-wise? think it's um, ethnic and gender wise. I mean, you would need to have, I mean, we're talking half and, half, and half, half and half. I mean, that's it would be, you need a couple more women. To, a couple more women yeah. to make it gender balanced for sure. Well, you've got you, you've got uh, uh, Sotomayor, you've got uh, Amy Barrett, Co- Co- uh, Co- Coney Barrett, you've got uh, the new woman. Um, I'm forgetting her name. Yeah, the one yeah, yeah. just got. But I don't think she she even gets to weigh in on this on this issue, right? I don't believe so. I don't think so, right? Because she, she's getting she's getting uh, her nomination cap after the fact. Right? So that's her... that's three out of nine. That's so thirty three percent. So you need if you add one more, two more. Yeah, at yeah. least at least one more. Yeah. You could probably do two more, right? Oh well, for... Kagan though. So Kagan, Sotomayor. Coney Barrett and the new woman. So that's four actually right now out of nine. But it's, yeah, I guess you can't get to 50 50 because nine right, people right, in the court. It's not, yeah, because yeah. it's nine people. I, I don't think it's balanced uh, ideologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely doesn't feel balanced ideologically. And I'm not saying you need to have a bunch of liberals in there either. It's just when the position of the court uh, seems to be much more weight on one side than the other. And, and it is a situation because I keep on hearing now people saying it like it's like a minority majority. Minority rule, and it's always interesting hearing in that context because as someone that is has grown up Latino in this country, sure. I always think about like minority more like from an ethnic yeah. standpoint. Yeah, so that's like has like a very negative connotation when I think about it from that that standpoint. Is it is super interesting? Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if there is a way to fix the if if oh well, I believe it needs to be fixed, but I don't know if there is a way to fix it because I don't think that the the solve is going and adding more Supreme Court judges. So then, what do you? That's, but what do you think about just administrations select? I mean, like, what if it swings six three the other direction with the next, you know, Democrat president or whatever? You know, you've got a few justices that are pretty old. But, you know, but, yeah. But think about that. It's like the odds are of being able to. This is well. I think if you were going to fix something, I would definitely put actual terms on being a Supreme Court judge. Mm. Like an amount of time, a set amount of time. Same thing we're talking about in the in the case. Now, now here you can't just be anyone because you need to understand law, right? So the way they're nominating, fine, but have set terms. It is Amy Comey Barrett or anyone. I mean, she's pretty young. She's she's like forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the impact that this court is going to have in this country for decades with the current folks folks on board, and even if in I forget who's the one that's stepping down on that is more liberal. Briar, Briar, right? Okay, let's say you replace him with a liberal. You're still in the same situation. Right, there is decades of impact that will happen in this country. Sure, with, with with folks, and I just think, like anything else, if you actually have more set terms that people like cannot just hang on. I mean, the re- the reality, as much as people loved, um, uh, what's her name, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor? The, no, the, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is you know she stayed there too long? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, right, and that is like that kind of has now created a massive impact for. Generations to come in terms of having a, a court it, that is less balanced for it, that reason. It's funny that even in cases where there isn't a life assignment, you have people kind of weighing in on, gee, when is too long? Look at what's happening with Diane Feinstein here in California, where it's like she's got, you know, some issues of age and, and, and even pretty verifiable, like right. cognitive issues. And, and she's running again. Terms on, on people that have public office, they hold public office. Is not a bad thing. Yeah, and and I would there, rather have it a term that is actually tied to age because then you get into ageism really quickly. Mm-hmm. But if you have a set term that, regardless of age, you can do more than let's say in Senate more than eight years, 
then just by definition, you're going to have f- like fresh blood coming in. See, fresh I'm, ideas. I'm totally and for term limits. I can't understand the difference. I think that's I one way to do it. I mean, the reality, you think about all of the 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 folks that we're talking about in the Senate right now, they're all like the, the main like yeah. problem makers, all of the, the, you know, the people, the leadership on all sides, like all these folks should be out. There's an argument, though, I forget exactly how it goes, about why term limits in the Supreme Court would actually create greater politi- politicization. Because, and I, I don't know exactly how it goes, but it, when I first read it, I was like, oh, that actually makes sense. Because then, you know, presidents who then determine who the justices are would be kind of gaming it. There'd be a lot more of what we saw with Trump, which is like, if you elect me, here's the people I'm going to put into court. But, but they're gaming it now, Charlie. They're gaming it now, and the Senate is gaming it now, right? I mean, but the Senate isn't for life, though. No, no, no. They're giving it now in the sense that when Obama wasn't able to replace one of one of the Supreme Court judges, oh yeah, with yeah, a yeah, year yeah. left in his in his presidency, yeah, they just refused to to, to, to look to, at any to put any him up for a vote. So, so it's game now. I think that the, the thing that I've have heard is that if you have term limits on Supreme Court judges, then what happens afterwards? Are they motivated to have a ruling one way or the other for opportunities that may come after their Supreme Court judgment? Sure. Right. Now, the way to solve for that is the economic thing. It's like, listen, you're set for life. You, you never have to worry about working again. You're, as a matter of fact, you banned for working again, but we're going to really take care of you. So you get paid for life. Even you get if you, paid you only for serve life. for 10 years. You only serve, yeah. And That's maybe, interesting. And, and maybe there's a bunch of like areas that you, that you can maybe get into if you want to. But for the most part, you're like set for life. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to worry about any of that. I think that could be a good way to actually have – courts that are more reflective of the issues, attitudes, opinions that a country actually has. Hmm. That could be one way to do it. Now, but it's interesting, though, because, again, we're back to this point about the court being reflective of the population where most of the time the argument is, are you an originalist or are you a kind of, you know, person who believes that the Constitution can live and breathe and change, right? If you're an originalist, yeah, of course it's important the country that you live in today, but ultimately what you're being asked to do is to compare a case against something that's was developed back then. So I guess what's interesting is is that really is there something like folks that are considered currently or have considered as being originalists and being more liberal leaning, or those or those originalists and conservative tend to kind of they do fall t- very they, close to each they other. They do tend to fall very close to each yeah. other. If you're an originalist, you are by definition conservative in the true sense that you want to conserve, preserve the things that have come before. If you're somebody who's more of, I don't know the terminology legally, but somebody yeah, who can yeah. read into the Constitution, well, this was then, but now it, now this is what it would mean. If they were doing the Constitution today, here's how they would have written it, then you're more likely to be kind of progressive. That's just the reality. But Yeah, and when I, when I hear that, the thing that I think about is, um, you know, especially in this whole issue around cancel culture and trying mm-hmm. to cancel people that were in the past, right? That have done things. Sure. Uh, take down statues, et cetera. Like the argument that I hear a lot, which I actually agree with, like we cannot judge people from 200 years ago with the, with the things that were happening now, right? With the, with, the, with the public opinion, with how we think about the world now. I feel with, when you have that very traditionalist point of view, you're kind of doing the opposite. It's like, there is no way that as, as genius as the founding fathers were that they could have possibly imagined the kind of world country, not just the U.S., but the global implications to what this country position will have. So taking everything exactly as it was written and it was intended 
two hundred plus years ago, it's it's also my and mind, I think that's probably pretty. I think that's probably pretty reasonable, right? If if you if you're strictly a constructionist, then it's hard to ever look at a current day problem and have any perspective on it because it wouldn't have existed right. back then. And if you're strictly a progressivist or whatever the term is right. legally, then nothing then nothing, nothing matters because it's matters, all new, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So I need more people in the middle. That's what we need. You need more people in the middle. Maybe. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, you, you got to have more folks that you're just not quite sure where they're going to land. Right? That's the problem that we get into, man. If we start getting with like everyone like, oh, yeah, called it. It's, ex- it's exactly as expected. It's always kind of like through political lines or through like ideological lines yeah. to voting. Then I do think that you have a Supreme Court that it just continues to lose confidence uh, that where people continue to lose confidence in their ability to really be unbiased and how they how they how they rule, and honestly, I don't know what the down downstream implication is of that. Right? We know what the downstream implication is of people not believing that we have a true voting process in this country they can trust. Mm-hmm. What is the downstream implication of thinking about a Supreme Court that was supposed to be the the unbiased sort of arbiter of, of truth. arbiter of truth? Then, if they're not, or we think that they're not, then what? Yeah. And I do think it's almost it doesn't matter. It's a six of one, half a dozen, because I think a lot of people think they are even if they are. I think they aren't even if they are at this point. Don't you think that, though, that kind of gets you into this this really gray area that let's say you get another Trump-like candidate who is like, fuck it, I'm going to do it my way, and like those and doesn't agree with the court? Like that's when you start getting into this really tricky space where like their rulings are only as – as valuable or as true as people are willing to adhere to them. Mm. See what I'm saying? Mm. I don't know. Uh, final thought. Um, what do you make of the protests and a lot of the things that have been going on since the since the leak happened? Yeah, I saw that. Um, I actually pulled it up. There has been protests in Alito's house. Actually, a couple of different people's house now at this sure. point, right? Yeah. And I believe it was was it Congress that just approved like, getting additional security for, this, for the Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. And the White House is facing calls to condemn a lot of unlawful rallies uh, that have been done by activists well, you, outside. Well, you have – I mean this the is, this is the part where uh, uh, everything is politicized. You have folks like um, our boy from uh, Texas. What's his name? <laughs> uh, Abbott. The no. governor? No, 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 no. Cruz. Cruz, yeah. right, who is now condemning all of this violent protest, also talking about how the – January 6th uh, insurrection was – A, first it was like a violent protest and then he had took it back to – because we talked about Tucker called them out. Yeah. Now they're all peaceful. Like, So which one is it that we're talking about? Look, at the end of the day, do I support or agree that Supreme Court judges should feel like their lifestyle is at risk because of the things that they're ruling on? Of course not. But this is – maybe this is the thing we just talked about. This is what happens when people stop believing that this is a court that is unbiased, is that when they stop respecting the court – at what point does that like does that end of respect turn into something more violent, something mm. more sinister? Mm. And maybe we're starting to see the beginning of that. Yeah. And now what? I mean, how terrible is that? That now you have to have judges that are going to have twenty four hour security around them because of all the decisions that they make, or have to Not move out from where they're living, or, or have to be treated in a very different manner. Witness protection like, program, basically, right for the rulings that that they're making. And I think this is all part of the when you start chipping away at the trust that people have. And these, I'm not justifying, by the way, their the, the, the actions or the violence. I, I don't think they should be feel their life threat. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's one of the the, 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 the repercussions of, of, of what we're seeing here. Yeah. It's people believing less in the Supreme Court as a body that was supposed to be unbiased, as you mentioned, arbiters of truth, 
Um, and that kind of thing, I think, paves the way for if the court does flip and become 6-3 in the other direction, that you would have the protests from the other side in front sure. of their houses. But but we already saw the dude, we already saw the playbook. We have a president that's still right, or ex-president, who's still at this point, judges supporting people, endorsing people, whether or not they believe that his election was stolen. <laughs> right, right. Dude, two years later. Yeah. Right? So there's like... Uh, there. Like, why wouldn't anyone feel otherwise? Why would anyone feel that they shouldn't try to take matters into their own hand? Yeah. Yeah. I I um I do think it's terrible, by the way. Yeah, no, and that's and that that's kind of what I was getting at, right? I mean, I do think that there's been some really just ugly stuff that's happened over the course of the last few days, especially in, you know, kind of faith based circles. And and I really I, it pains me to to look at some of this stuff. Um, you know, and it's a variety of different things, but you know, my great hope is that it doesn't descend into greater violence, but um, we've got a lot of work to do. I guess that's the uh, the end assessment is, is here. There, is there a role that the church can play to help bridge the gap? Yeah, I think so. It's and just, it's just there's, it's the, the challenge is such a binary. It is a binary stance in this case. And that's what makes it really, really hard to bridge the gap. Yeah. I think, you know, look, the, the the church's position is that, you know, children should be welcomed and cherished sure. and loved. That's basically it. And that if that means it's not going to be with you as a biological parent, then there's other ways to do that. And that we should support women who are going through this. Um, you know, one of the things that I've seen a lot now in the pro-life movement is people going under the moniker of pro-science, pro-woman, pro-child. Right, which is like that is the fullness of the pro life stance because mm-hmm. the pro life stance it's a gets better a, stance than what it was before. It gets a lot of heat for like you only care well, about like the, the anti woman stance, is what right? Like. Or or this idea like you only care about the child before it's born, but after it's born, who could, you know you couldn't who care cares? less, right? It's like yeah. you know whatever. So I do like seeing some of that, and I do think that more of an emphasis on actually meeting mothers in you know crisis moments or what they view as crisis moments in a more compassionate and relational way is the approach that the church can use to bridge the gap. Because you get you get less far scolding people or having, you know, catechetical arguments about, you know, when life begins or whatever than you do when you just sit with somebody, understand the pain that they're going through, the difficulty of their situation and walk with them. And I think if the church does that, then I think they're going to be better off. Do you think that people are putting an outside blame on the church in general or Christianity in general I do. as being the cause of this? I do. And if that's and if the answer is yes, which is you just said yes, does that become an accelerant for more people becoming less religion? Like it's already a trend. Like, does that become yeah. an accelerant to move more people to turn away from the, from the church? I think it does, but it also kind of, in a weird way, creates a negative effect where it hardens people who are faithful to feel that they're in a war. You know what I mean? And I mm-hmm. think that that's also negative. Um, look, there was Molotov cocktails thrown into a pro-life clinic, basically, in Wisconsin. Molotov cocktails, okay? What's a pro-life clinic? It's a pregnancy services center, so it's basically a place where people um, in a crisis pregnancy can go to for help and support. So rather than seeking an abortion, they provide services, counseling, adoption, uh, referrals, things like that, right? Yeah, so, the stupidest fucking thing to go attack this, like, 
another like, at the end of the day look whether you <laughs> regardless of what side of the equation is like these are if these are groups that are helping women in a time of need isn't it pretty stupid to be like attacking another place that well you're not going to get any disagreement see what I'm saying like that yeah. that makes no sense to me whatsoever. but I think they equate it with if it's not pro-choice it's against me therefore I'm going to you know firebomb it basically and I think it's you know look I'm sure it's a fringe group but nevertheless it's been all over the country there was and, and but that's the problem right because we're also in, in situations where I was listening listen to a podcast this morning and they were talking about this doctor that she has to wear a bulletproof vest when she goes into her Planned Parenthood like offices mm-hmm. because she was very worried about being shot. Of course, yeah. And it's like the, the the you know I think to date it has been more the pro life side, especially the one that was much more mm-hmm. aggressive about going in some of these more militant, like, yeah. more militant. And now we have the opposite. It's like to me, it's like you're literally doing the same thing that was already the problem, right? Where you're ultimately is like you're trying to take life or hurt life. In the process of supposedly defending life or life rights, whether it's for the women or the children, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's just, incoherent, yeah, is what it is. It's, it's and I, I and I condemn all of those forms of violence uh, against uh, abortion providers, abortion workers, as well as against you know pregnancy services clinics. Uh, <laughs> you want to you know one, one funny one that yeah. I, one of one of the doctors was saying is that um, African American doctor. She was saying that you know one of the things was a little bit of the the inside joke for her is that. When she was going to the clinic, like all the time to perform mm-hmm. abortions, most of the participants wouldn't bother her because they all thought she was gonna. She was a patient. She was a patient <laughs> because she's black, so and no one that, realized that she was an actual doctor. So she was like, she kept on kind of walking through completely unfazed, completely like, because we're harassing all the doctors. Well, and you're making kind of a double point, which is the yeah. the the ignorance of people who might believe that a black person is not a doctor, but also the fact that the majority of abortions are actually uh, among black women. Mm-hmm. Right. Black and brown people are the ones who typically, even though the, the perception For might sure. be different, that it's like, you know, kind of rich white ladies that kind of go in there and do it. It's not. Um, and, and that's a that's a, a serious consideration. Well, where do we leave this topic, my friend? Just right where uh, it's at. I don't know, man. It's 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 been. I could only I really feel for the people that are right now sitting here in limbo in these in these states and thinking like what's going to happen and whether if they feel less safe or they feel less valued uh I I do feel for them man it's it's tough I think it's tough for people especially with the I start with I'll be all in what I began which is the people that have the least amount of means are the people that are most impacted by these mm. issues right and re- look regard and you and I have, have been been on the opposite side of this for I think for a while but ultimately you know, you can see it for myself. Like, I would never, or I have never advocated for an abortion in my personal life. Having said that, I I feel for the people that that because of X number of reasons find themselves in a moment where they feel that that's the best choice for them, and then now be in a situation where like they're living in a place where there isn't a lot of services, there isn't a lot of a lot of support for them beyond. Uh, once a child is born, and then and then having this kind of burden and not having any kind of means to make it. Yeah, I understand choice. that. I, w- I would end my side on a hopeful note that even for people who find themselves in that situation, who believe that that's the only option, there's actually a better way. Um, and you know, I'm testament to that. I know a lot of people who are, and you know, children are a gift. That's all that I would say. But I agree with you a, on that. It's a tough issue. Yeah, hopefully you would, right? Because no, you yeah. got kids. I, yeah, right? I'm a big. Yeah, for sure. Kids are good. We'll take them. <laughs> Anyway, all right, my friend, thank you very much for this late discussion. It's somber on, discussion. On the somber discussion. But hopefully, yeah. I, no, I think, look, I think if nothing else, we show that this is a, to- this is a topic that can be discussed 
respectfully and in a nuanced way and can help us, you know, kind of spark some thoughts and maybe come to some solutions. And it doesn't all just have to be Molotov cocktails and, and snotty tweets. Maybe start with a little cocktail and have a... <laughs> yeah, we should add more of those. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No. All right, my friends. We'll see you again next time on TDR. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories. Stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.